On today's episode of The Gripe Session, we welcome former New York Met, Mr. All-Time, Lenny Harris. It's Gripe Session time with your host, George Wanaka. It's about nothing. Discussing everything from real estate, current events, a little bit of everything, and the annoying little things that just tick you off. You can't handle the truth. What? 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 Here's your host, George Wanaka. Your ass better call somebody! What's up, everybody? How we doing today? Welcome to today's edition of the Gripe Session Podcast. And today, we do have a special guest. Yes, it is Mr. All-Time, former New York Met, Lenny Harris, who currently holds the all-time major league record for pinch hits in a career. And I've met Lenny um, for the last couple of years down at Mets Fantasy Camp, and I asked him if he would be willing to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about his career. And without any further ado, let's listen to Lenny. Okay, well, hopefully, ladies and gentlemen, you are um, home like I am. And uh, I figured today I'd do a little bit of a podcast because, again, we're not in baseball season right now, so I really don't know what to do with myself outside of not working. And if I could go play golf, I'd obviously go do that. But I got a little bit of a special uh, guest for you ladies and gentlemen today. I've got all-time Mr. Lenny Harris, uh, formerly of the New York Mets and a, and a bunch of other teams uh, on the line today. And uh, met Lenny down in fantasy camp down in Port St. Lucie the last couple of years. And uh, Lenny was good enough to come on the podcast today and uh, and just want to welcome him. So, Lenny, what's going on, bud? Ain't nothing much, man. Just trying to get rid of this, um, this bad weather we got here and hopefully everybody can get back to work. Enjoy themselves. Good, good, man. Go from there. Yeah, let's go Mets. So you're down, in, uh, you're down in Miami now, right? Yeah, back in Florida where I was born and raised at. Okay. Um, just trying to take it one day at a time like everybody else. Great, great. So, Lenny, just uh, just as a, you know, for, for a lot of people that don't know, you know, your entire career, um, give everybody, you know, a little bit of an idea of, of how you came up, how you got to the big leagues, and uh, kind of go from there. Um, it was um, 1988. Um, I got called up from Nashville, Tennessee. I was in um, AAA for the Cincinnati Reds organization. And I remember getting called up and um, they played a, a practical joke on me. The security guard wouldn't let me into the ballpark. So I was still standing outside and players was just driving by me. Weren't paying me any attention. So I just kept staying out there. And I told the security guard that, you know, I just got called up to the big leagues. My name is such and such. He said, well, I don't have you on the list here. So you couldn't come in. So they went with it well. So next thing you know, um, I I got caught a cab right back to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, where are you? Where are you? Like that. So I went back to the hotel because they didn't expect me at the ballpark to come in. He goes, did you really leave? I said, yeah, I left. You know, so it was a practical joke on them because I was like, you know, I didn't want no problem. So I said, let me go back to the hotel. So I got, you know, I got called up 
moment that I'll never forget. That's great. That's great. So now I, I know you play with a number of teams. How many total teams did you play with during your career, Lenny? Eight teams. Eight teams. Yeah, I ended up playing with the Mets twice. Yep. The, um, played with the Reds twice. Colorado, okay. uh, Milwaukee, Chicago. Uh, it was uh, Arizona and then the Marlins. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was, it was, it was a journey, man. But I was still in the National League, which I was happy to be in the National League because okay. I didn't want to deal with the American League. The games took too long to play, and it's always, you know, a bunch of slowpoke. You know, games <laughs> always took forever. You know, guys always, you know, they eat up that TV time. So you know, mm-hmm. National League, you have to get in the box. You know, guys then. Tolerate when you got in the big leagues, you had to get in the box. There was no taking your time or whatever. Once the pitcher was out there ready to pitch, you better be inside the batter spot. Cool. So you you had mentioned that uh, you played on that World Series Florida Marlins team, or well, you didn't say that, but I know I know you played for the World Series Marlins team back in two thousand and three. What was it like playing for Jack McCain? Jack was one of the best managers that I ever played for because when we lost a couple, he said, hey, you know, this is not a, a sprint. This is a marathon. So we're going to lose some ball games, but let's get back on track like we're supposed to do and end up winning this thing at the end. So, you know, he was he was a player manager. That's something that a lot of us got along with because he just spoke his mind. You know, he know mm-hmm. that you're going to struggle. He know you're going to do this. What you're going to do when you – when you struggle, how are you going to get yourself out of that situation? So it was good to play for Jack, man. He was one of the best. I played for him in Cincinnati when he managed. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up playing for him in Miami and, and bringing the, you know, pennant back to Florida, which was, you know, outstanding because it took me 17 years to get a World Series ring at that, mm-hmm. at that point in my career. Sure. Well, actually, it, it's uh, so a funny story by me. Now, obviously, I, I was never – a major league baseball player, but so I played in a in a golf tournament down in Myrtle Beach called the World Am. Uh, used to call, be called the Dupont. Um, and there's one you play four days, and the first day I played with this guy, I rode in the same cart with him and everything. And I noticed he was from Washington D.C. And I have a Mets ball marker and divot marker, so every time my ball went down on the green, he goes, "Oh my God, I got to look at that all freaking day long." With all your stuff, he goes and he goes. I'm, you know, I'm from D.C. and I actually work for the Nationals. And I'm like, okay, like, and didn't really give another thought. So now, P.S. It comes to the last day, and I'm in. I'm playing with this guy again, and I come and I'm in the same cart with him again. And we get to about the third or fourth hole, and he goes, "Oh man, you gonna pull that marker out on me again, aren't you?" And I go, "Yeah, man." He goes, "Man, I told you, I play for I play for the Nationals." And I'm like, or I, he's not, he doesn't play for the Nationals. I'm sorry. He's, um, he works for the Nationals. So, again, not putting anything together. And I'm sitting back, and, I, and then he starts talking about his dad. And I'm like, wait a second. I go, is your dad Jack? And he says, yeah. I says, Jack McKean's your dad. So, it was actually, and I don't know, baseball is a small play, Casey McKean 
Yeah, uh, Casey, yeah, he plays I, good golf too. I'll tell you, man, I had, and we had some of the best times um, on that golf course. And I, and even today I text him every once in a while and I, and I send him a tweet once in a while. And, uh, and I said, I still have that ball marker too. So, um, and he was telling me some of the stuff that, you know, was going on with his dad. And one of the funny things, which I thought about, which kind of, to me, tells you about the work ethic of that man. He, his dad is like 80 or 90 something years old. And he went he oh, was yeah. still with the Marlins and he was still going, he got one of, you know, one of the, um, I don't know if it's ambassador roles or whatever. And was mm-hmm. always going in that office early, first in the morning to get there and the last guy to leave. Like he took that thing ridiculously seriously. So I thought that was pretty cool about, about him. So anyway, oh, yeah. but um, a lot of Mets fans obviously know you from your, your pinch hitting prowess. And you've obviously got a, you know, MLB record of 12, 212 career pinch hits all, all time. It's all time. That's why that's the nickname all time. So for for what what is it what does it take for you to to be ready in a and and be ready every single day to be ready to get out there and and have to perform i mean i would think it's 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 probably more difficult to do what you do than somebody that's getting reps every day like how would you it how would you tell ups- anybody yeah it was upsetting me because I wasn't getting the opportunity to play when I see a guy who's starting that game and I usually look at my stats against this guy. I'm like, man, I wonder why I'm not starting today. I'm hitting about 350 off this guy. You know, so I used to always use that as ammo for myself. I said, man, I can't believe I'm not playing today. You know, I used to always be upset when I didn't play. So it kind of had me towards, you know, feeling a little anger when I went out there and played just to keep showing the manager that, you know, you made a mistake not putting me in this game today, you know, and stuff like that. So that's one of my mentors that I kept with me to keep me motivated because sometimes you can get on that bench and really just fall apart, you know, yeah. just you know, say, you know what, I just don't care, man. And it happens because it, it takes one little thing in Major League Baseball to use your confidence and next thing you know, you'll never be the same again. So it does happen to a lot of players. They wonder why they don't back, you know, like, you know, have back-to-back seasons or, you know, come back from the season they had last year. A lot of them have one good year. And next thing you know, you don't hear about them no more. But uh, that's, that's something that you have to keep intense about this game. It's easy for you to lose your confidence. But once you lose that confidence, it's, it's hard getting it back. So how did you – now, obviously, that's the mental preparation. How did you, from a physicality standpoint, how did you physically prepare? When- I, I kind of – I stay ready all day. I, it's just I'm always doing something. I You barely see me on the bench or something like that. I'm always downstairs riding a bicycle or I'm hitting in the cages down below. I'm always – um, it seemed like I never, when I did come in and pitch hit or play defense or whatever, I, I came in, but I was already sweating. I would never go out there cold feet, the fifth or sixth inning or whatever they call me to come out there and hit or play defense or go run for somebody. No, I'm always, because I know what kind of body I had. I had to keep myself ready to go and always heat it. I just want to feel like I was warm enough 
so I didn't pull any muscles and things like that just in case I had to beat a uh infield single out or something like that but I always stay ready that's one thing that the manager they didn't have to count on me about getting ready or whatever I stayed ready through the whole game okay great so I mean that's 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 actually a that's almost a two-prong approach to where, where your career was which was you know, you wanted to play every single day and you were pissed that you weren't playing day, but then you just took that and used that as ammunition and motivation to say, you know what, I'm going to show this. But um, little did you know that down the road you'd be you'd be holding a record, uh, an MLB for career pitch hits. Did yeah, I never thought, yeah, I never thought that would happen because I remember when I had 100 and Ronnie Oster in Cincinnati said, man, you know, you're only 50 away from Manny Mota. I said, who the hell is Manny Mota? You know, I didn't know who he was or whatever, because every time I went up, I was determined to hit. You know, that's that's just my my mentor, the way I was taught and just, you know, I was just, you know, just being like an equalizer, just said, this is what you need to do to be successful in the game. So I just tried to stay on my same plane and then try to look back. I just kept trying to look forward. but. They was bringing that, and he was like telling me, Manny Mona, one of the greatest pitchers. And I said, shit, the way I'm going right now, I'm going to break that in two years maybe. And I did. <laughs> you know, I got 25 and 25 and two back-to-back seasons. I mean, that came like really nothing to me. I was determined to break it because a lot of people was like saying, was once I was getting close to it, a lot of players said, well, he ain't going to get too much free coffee no more once you break his record and all this kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't know him that much till I joined the Dodgers. Okay. And he wasn't very talkative, talkative much. No. You know, he didn't say much. So I kind of stayed in my way. I didn't know how he was presenting it, uh-huh. like taking it. You know, I said to myself sometimes that, well, I guess records are meant to be broken, but I'm going to shatter this one. You know, so that's what <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. So I said, you know what? I'm going to opportunity because th- that's how I felt. It's like a like a great shooter in basketball. You know he's going to score his points and stuff yep. like that. So, and that's what I was saying about having an opportunity to, to be successful by getting the opportunity to break records. But like I said, I knew the way I was feeling that day and, and when I got traded, to the Diamondbacks in, in um, August for the playoffs in 19, and was it uh, 99? That was the first Diamondback playoffs, and we lost to the uh, Mets. Agato Alfonso, they came out, Ricky Henderson, they came out wearing us out. I mean, they hit the big unit like he wasn't even, you know, mm-hmm. it was crazy. You know, Joe McEwen was going off. You know, it was just it was just a, a, a deep series because we had just won 103 games in Arizona Diamondback, and um, next thing you know, we got knocked out the first round by the wild card was the, the Mets, and that's when Todd Pratt hit that big home run against us in Shea. So that that's something that I'll never forget. But you know, that's life. We had a chance to win the game, but we didn't pull it out, and and they played better than we did. That's it. That's baseball. You can be the best team, and any given day, somebody can come out there and and take it away from you for no. Exactly. No exactly. So, 
Who was your uh, uh, who was your manager in uh, Los Angeles? The my my manager was Tommy Lasorda. Oh, was Lasorda? Okay, I didn't yeah. know he was. I wasn't sure he was still around back then. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was my manager okay. when I got to the uh, Dodgers, and uh, Pete called me in the office and told me that hey, we're gonna have to sing you out. You know, that don't, that don't mean I don't love you or anything, but it's a part of the business. Yeah. Well, talk about yeah. that part of the talk about that part of the business, if you if you don't mind for a minute. Obviously, nowadays, where you know, as as fans, we all get you know attached to to certain players, and um, and it obviously as people you know um, as people leave the organization, sometimes we don't want to see them go. And you, you know, your diehards always never want to see, you know, their friend, uh, their fan favorites go. Like uh, a couple of years ago with um, with Wilmer, um, and the fans embraced him, and uh, even to this day, I think they still embrace him, even though he's playing someplace else. Talk about the 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 positives and the negatives of the business aspect of the game. Being positive about the game is that you give so much to the organization. You know, that's your lifeline right there. You you go out there, you bust your butt, you work as hard as you can to support your family. And then the next part, you end up getting so close to the fans because now you're a fan favorite. You know, it ain't like you talk to the media, even if you had a bad day or whatever. You become a New York man, you know, and that's what a New York man is. Some guys can only take, you know, take, success but can take failure so you have to be able to take both and with it so you can be on both sides just in case something happened i remember uh, um jeremy burnett's when i got traded for jeremy burnett's when I, me and glendon rush went to milwaukee and we came back to play the mets and he walked over there and said man i don't know how you can play in this place you know, so it was like a, really a joke because New York's not easy to play. And I knew he wasn't a fan favorite because he'd been so successful in Milwaukee that when he got to New York, he struggled, but he didn't know how to come out of it because the fans pretty much expected a little more out of him because of the money that they signed him to and things like that. But there's better ways to beat that. You know, you just have to be a little you know, flat boy a little bit with the media and the press and the fans and stuff like that. So it don't really eat you up on both ends. So, you know. You think, do you think, and, I, and I've always wondered this, and when, when, when guys aren't necessarily doing as good, for lack of a better term, in a major market, right? Like, and we use New York as the example. Do you think it would be better for guys to, to – for lack of a better term, embrace it and, and, and embrace the fans and, 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 you know, say, yeah, man, I'm stinking. I'm trying to do everything I can do. And, and even like, again, when I go to games nowadays, you sometimes guys are warming up and stuff like that. And you see certain guys will come over they'll say hi to the kids the you know, and, and embrace the, the, the fans. What do you think about people going down that road and doing that? I mean, I understand everybody's got their own process of how they're going to deal with stuff, but um, to me, sometimes I think that it that would almost help their potential image, or, may, or maybe not. I don't know. It all depends because some guys are very superstitious in the game. Yeah. Today, so it all depends. You know, 
I played with Deion Sanders and he wore the same underwear for about 30 days, you know. I mean, he just, <laughs> it has holes in them and everything. He washed them and stuff like that. You would never think that a guy in his caliber will wear some underwear with five billion holes in it. But that's when you get somebody to cut suit, them. That's, that's when you get was. somebody to cut them. That's all. We'll put holes well, in them. You know, he's been like, he's been wearing those for so long and they used to be a, like a joke to us, but we was like, man. I guess some people do really believe it's too superstitious. So Listen, you, you, know, you never sock. know. Yeah. The, yeah, you never know. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah. All right. So one of the things that I ask pretty much everybody that comes on on the podcast um, is if Lenny Harris had one gripe, one thing that just ticks him off, and just says, "Damn, what do people think about when they do this stuff?" What would that be? Man. It could be anything. And hey, listen, this is a rated R podcast, so you don't have to worry about that. So you go, come hey, on, get it. It's, 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 I don't know, because it's so much that can piss <laughs> me off. You know, it just sometimes when the games take so long and they shouldn't have, you know, that's the only thing that's that that bothers me when a guy gets hit and he rolls all the way around in the ground and next thing you know he's still on the ground and we think they're gonna take him out of the game and then he gets up and walk around and he goes to the bases. You know, that kind of shit drives me nuts, you know. Right. So as the expression you know, as as a certain fantasy camper would say, walk it off, Deke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you know, if, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but yeah. that, was, that was that was one of Ke that was one of Brewer's famous lines. Walk it off, geek. Yeah, work it off, geek. So, anyway, well, I want to thank you uh for coming on the podcast for taking a couple minutes. I appreciate yeah, I appreciate everything uh you guys do in camp. It's 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 a beautiful thing. It's I like I said it's it's the most fun that I have almost every year. Uh, for the last two years, quite frankly, it's it's been nothing but fun, uh, and, and I love catching up with you guys even during the course of the year. And I always tell people about fantasy camp, and literally, it's it's any baseball fan should should do this. So I definitely appreciate that, um, and appreciate all you guys. Um, one last thing, if you could if you could give the youngsters that are playing ball any advice, and I think I might have asked Mookie this last year. What advice would you give a, um, a young person playing ball, whether it be travel ball, little league, high school, et cetera? What would be Lenny Harris's advice to any kids just out there playing ball? I just tell them always be one step ahead of everybody. Always be, be one, one step ahead. ahead of everybody. Always know to expect next. Mm -hmm. Never feel like you've been left behind. Never seem like you just not understanding always outsmart yourself just always want to be a one step ahead of everybody so you can know what's going towards the next situation awesome awesome well, we appreciate you being on today i want to thank you and uh and we'll catch you next time all right george you take care buddy well, I want to thank my friend Lenny Harris for coming on today's edition of the Gripe Session Podcast. I hope you ladies and gentlemen enjoyed that episode because I surely did. But don't fret because in this age 
of being at home and lack of baseball and lack of sports, I've decided to get you another sports person. Well, guess what? Next week's edition of the Gripe Session, we are going to have none other than Tank. That's right, Todd Pratt, former New York Mets catcher who had a lot of great Mets memories, is going to be on the next edition of the Gripe Session podcast. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast today. Please, if you if you had fun with it, if you liked it, give me a rate, rate and review. Subscribe to the podcast on any way you find podcasts. Uh, podcast uh, app on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, all those wonderful things. Um, just go on there. We help you. We hope you uh, hope you like the podcast for today. Please tell somebody about the podcast if you found it entertaining. And we greatly appreciate it. That's all we got for today. I hope you have a fantastic day. And do something nice for somebody that you wouldn't normally do. And we'll catch you on the next edition of The Grave Session. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Grave Session. Please follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram.